0: You're listening to the sagas and sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. to sagas and sass season four brought to you by geek saga entertainment i'm tara along with fellow hosts nick and jonathan nick is back holla y'all this episode will cover glory part three of morningstar the third installment in pierce brown's red rising saga
1: Please note that if you are watching this as a webcast, there is a chance that you will hear some spoilers for later books in the Red Rising series during our live webcast. However, if you are listening to this as a podcast, any spoilery bits have been edited out. If you're watching live, join us in the chat or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Sagas and Sass or email us at sagasandsass at gmail.com to continue the conversation.
0: Additionally, please note that the views expressed by the hosts are those of us as individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. And don't forget to check out our Patreon. With 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month, it offers tons of ways to support us and receive some great perks in return, including early access to the podcast versions of these episodes, as well as timed patron-only access to these live videos, which will only be available to our patrons for the month after they've finished airing. And you can find us at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. And with that, it is time to dive into chapters 35 through 39 of Morningstar.
1: In the wake of Ragnar's death and winning Sufi to their cause, Musking organizes a massive movement filling a thousand ships with the obsidians. This includes families who will be dispersed to their new homes underground and warriors who will be sent to the military ships in orbit. Once this is accomplished, Darrow, Mustang, and Holiday return to Tinos with Cassius as their prisoner. Sephi and her Valkyrie as their allies and Ragnar's body pause for emotion. motion. Severo and the Howlers greet them, with Severo producing Ragnar's bear cloak and announcing himself as Ragnar's blood brother before asking permission to drape his body with the cloak. In a promising show of generosity, Saffy passes stewardship of her brother's body to Sevro, and he and Darrow hold vigil over it. Discussing the past, Darrow's regret over allowing Ragnar to fight Aja, and what their lives might have been like if they had been regular people. When Darrow finally leaves, he runs into Victra on his way out. And after telling him that Mustang and Dancer have already been at each other's throats, she goes to join Severo, because, duh, if Victra and Severo haven't been banging yet, they're sure as hell about to be, and we are here for it! Darrow, for his part, is off to find Mustang, who happens to be hanging out in the commissary with his Uncle Neryl, Kavix, and Daxo Telemannos! a bunch of pit vipers, and Darrow's brother and mother. Darrow's kind of shocked and maybe a little worried at seeing the two halves of his life collide without his supervision. And let's be real, it probably doesn't help that when he walked in, Mustang was kind of telling embarrassing stories about their time at the Institute. Soon, though, his mother announces that it's time for bed and figuratively drags Kieran, Nero, and the pit vipers along with her, leaving Darrow, Mustang, and the telemonises to talk shop. Apparently the current plan is to use claw drills to allow the obsidians to invade key Martian cities, but they don't agree with this. Both because no matter that Cephi is Ragnar's sister, they don't trust the obsidians, and Mustang also insists that the jackal will smell this plan a mile away.
0: The other issue is their need for assurance that Darrow isn't trying to begin a dictatorship or a full democracy with a K. But before they can get too deep into that conversation, Holiday shows up to let Darrow know that Cassius is asking for him and claiming that he has information. So Darrow heads off to the infirmary where he and Cassius kick off their conversation by speaking of honor and duty, blah, 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 until Darrow eventually insists that they get down to brass tacks. So Cassius asks him why he thinks the Sovereign was suing for peace. And it turns out that while thanks to Mustang, Darrow knows a litany of reasons as to why the Sovereign wanted to remove the jackal from power, she in fact made Cassius hold back the most important piece of intel they had. Because it turns out that not only has the jackal been stockpiling helium, he also robbed a warehouse on an asteroid located between the core and the rim. A warehouse that contained 500 world-killing nuclear warheads, for fuck's sake. Obviously, a meeting is called so that Darrow can bring this extremely beyond worrisome news to everyone's attention, but the leaders of the rebellion end up questioning whether Cassius is telling the truth, with their argument punctuated by Severo's constant reminders that they could just torture the truth out of Cassius, as well as some discussion as to whether or not Mustang belongs in their war councils, though that point seems to fall flat considering, you know, all of the other shit they have going on. Anyway, they eventually come to the conclusion that Cassius must be telling the truth, thanks to Victra remembering a passing comment she once heard from her mother that clearly referred to the nukes in question. But that's not the end of the meeting, because next up, Darrow has to convince them that the Claudrill plan isn't going to work, and that instead, they should create their own paradigm! One the jackal won't expect, of course. Basically, Darrow wants them to leave Mars. But that's not all. His new and improved plan is for them to head out to the rim to smash the sword armada. And so the red armada is off to war, leading to tearful goodbyes between Darrow and Dancer and, strangely enough, between Mustang and Deanna, Darrow's mother, as well. As Darrow boards a shuttle with his friends, Dancer calls out to him. And when Darrow turns, he sees a sea of people, blues, reds, greens, grays, obsidians, raising their fists in solidarity with him and with each other. Dancer bellows, break the chains! And Darrow raises his own fist in salute before stepping into the shuttle to sail off to war. Again. So, going back to Ragnar and his death and them bringing his body back with them and having their vigil over it. Darrow is blaming himself for Ragnar's death, saying it was his shit plan to take Aja out. And Severo reminds him that Aja killed Quinn and helped kill Fitchner, as well as dozens of sons while Darrow was locked up. And he says,
2: Wasn't your bad. You'd have lost me too. If I were there, even Rags couldn't have kept me from having a go at her. Always trying to protect us. The Shield of Tynos. He loved the name. I think he'd always thought himself a blade before he met us. We let him be what he wanted. A protector.
0: And, like, I know both of you weren't there two weeks ago when we discussed part two of Morningstar when Ragnar died. Mm-hmm. But just since you weren't there, all the feelings about losing Ragnar, honestly.
1: That was super sad. I loved Ragnar.
0: Does anybody not like Ragnar? I feel like I have never heard of anybody dislike him. And his death was, in my opinion, even though some people two weeks ago sort of disagreed with me, timed and written in such a way that it was so emotionally impactful.
2: It was. I don't usually cry during books, but I got very – and I didn't cry this. I actually got angry during when he died.
0: (laughs) Hey, that's an emotion. It's okay.
2: (laughs) Because actually, I sort of agree with Darrow. His plan was terrible. You know, he's like, can you take him? What's Ragnar going to say? No. Of course he was going to take a shot at her, even though it was a stupid ass plan. But anyway, vent over since I wasn't here for that discussion.
0: Everything about Ragnar's body returning to with them. several coming to them and saying, I was his blood brother and I just want to place his cloak that he wore when he fought with us on him. <laughs> I'm already getting emotional. And then Sephi giving over stewardship of Ragnar's body to these people who have been his companions, his friends, his brothers for, you know, years now. It was so good. Cause she didn't have to do that. Like Dara said, she could have jealously like guarded his body as her own. They could have left it in the ice, honestly, but she knew that they needed closure. So all of it was very sweet and I loved it very much. Sad that, we've lost him. But again, Severo's point about how he was the shield of Tinos. I mean, he was a slave who was made into basically like a pit fighter. I'm thinking like Dance of Dragons Marine
1: situation,
0: you know? And then he got to be something more than that. He got to protect people and not just the people he cared about, but All of these refugees that are living in Tinos, he got to help and protect them. They gave him that name, and mm, I'm just never going to not be emotional about it. Or probably ever stop talking about Ragnar's death being the saddest in the series so far. All that said, moving on to Cassius, who is still alive. And Severo, and I think all of us, want to know why Darrow is keeping him alive.
1: And Darrow says, maybe I think the world would be a better place with him in it. So many people have used him, lied to him, betrayed him. All of that has defined him. It's not fair. I want him to have a chance to decide for himself what kind of person he wants to be.
2: None of us get to be what we want to be, Several mutters, at least not for long.
1: Isn't that why we fight? Isn't that what you just said about Ragnar? He was made a blade, but we gave him a chance to be a shield. Cassius deserves that same chance.
0: Granted, Severo isn't wrong when he says that someone in Genos is going to try to pop Cassius. And same goes for Mustang. This place, Mm -hmm. it's a powder keg. And having, even though both Mustang is being guarded by Uncle Nero's pit vipers, which is, by the way, the B squad, like just beneath the howlers. And Cassius is being guarded and also in the infirmary and everything. This is a bad Situation Like a bad place to be keeping this guy. I get that he had been severely injured, but he should be like locked up in a very safe cell right now. Yep. And I hate to say it, being a te- if they want to keep him alive or feel the need to keep him alive, <sighs> Darrow, then he should have his own guards, his own cell, his own doctor. I mean, Mm -hmm. to be honest, it's not just the Reds or the Obsidians or whatever. How do you know your doctor isn't going to want to take care of this situation? So, I don't know. This whole thing seems very stupid to me.
1: But hey, it pays off.
0: Yeah, because they do get that information. Before Darrow goes to see Cassius, Darrow and Severo talk about what might have been had they been regular people. And while Darrow knows that He might have loved EO more as time went on. EO herself would have despised their small life. So when Darrow asks himself if he was given the chance to go back and to be blind to all of this, would he? He thinks.
1: All this time I thought this was for EO. I drove straight on like an arrow because I had that one perfect idea in my head. She wanted this. I loved her. So I'll make her dream real, but that's bullshit. I was living half a bloody damn life, making an idol out of a woman, making her a martyr, something instead of a someone pretending she was perfect. She wouldn't have wanted that. And when I looked out at the hollows, I just knew, I mean, I guess I realized as I was talking that justice isn't about fixing the past. It's about fixing the future. We're not fighting for the dead. We're fighting for the living and for those who aren't yet born, for a chance to have children. That's what has to come after this. Otherwise, what's the point? You and I keep looking for light in the darkness, expecting it to appear, but it already has. We're it, boyo. Broken and cracked and stupid as we are, we're the light. And we're spreading.
0: Man, Daryl does know how to give a good speech. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like he's like the only one that ever gets to give these just epic talks and speeches. And that's not really fair. I mean, sometimes obviously mm-hmm. Severus says some pithy stuff, but it's mostly hilarious and gross. Mustang, of course, has her moments because we all freaking love Mustang. She's the best. But Darrow's the only one that gets to just wax on being just so eloquent and I do really love that though we keep expecting for this light in the darkness to appear but we're it we're broken we're cracked we're stupid but we're the light and we're spreading now that's uh kind of in a way neither here nor there because as much as Arrow might think that Mustang the Telemannises are kind of like dude uh we don't really think that plan being set forth by Dancer is good. And they approached Dara about it, and wow, do we learn even more about how off the Jackal is. And Mustang kind of goes into the story about how when they were children, the Jackal would create mazes or puzzles for her. And when she completed them, when she won, he would congratulate her to her face. But it turns out that once he was alone, he would punish himself for losing to her. She saw this happen, and she tried to pretend she couldn't finish the next one. But he made her finish it and then didn't come back to her with another one until he created something that she could not solve. Like, he did not stop working on this and did not invite her to play his little games again until he had created this. And she tells Darrow that the Jackal will never forgive them beating him at the Institute. He will never forget literally every plan they've already used. And they've already used the quadrilles through the surface thing when they got Darrow from the Jackal's home in Attica. I mean, like, we knew the Jackal was something else, but Mustangs insight into how he was as a child and these things that he used to do were just oof like please listen to her you know yeah and also mustang's very smart part of me wonders how long it took the jackal to come up with something that she couldn't solve
1: probably a really long time
0: anyway that's why they're like please don't do the quadrilles because he's totally gonna expect those shit then Darrow finally goes to meet with Cassius. Darrow and Cassius sitting in a tree. Okay, oh, okay, no, it's not quite like that. <laughs> Only one
1: step away.
0: Yeah, Darrow has a thing for Cassius. The way Darrow talks about Cassius's looks and everything, I'm like, are you sure you're entirely straight, Darrow? Is this just your red upbringing, where this was such a patriarchal society that you believe that there's no such thing as not mm-hmm. being straight?
2: Because the way
0: he thinks about Cassius looks is like he's an Adonis, he's a god. His dimpled chin—I
1: never thought of that. He goes really hard on it.
0: His coiled golden hair, like, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see what you're thinking here. I think
1: it's some heteronormative bullshit, and that if Darrow had been raised as a gold, that he might not have such a.
0: He would have been more tactless or roke in that regard and less
1: stickler. I feel more like rogue, I would think.
0: Well, I don't mean all the aspects of their personalities. Mm. I mean, mm. just
1: mm-hmm, being,
0: mm-hmm. you know, not being straight. Yes. But anyway, <laughs> so they don't quite sit in a tree and kiss, whatever. but Darrow does go to visit Cassius and he's <laughs> thinking about why he saved his former friend.
1: I could aspire to notions of valor and honor, but the deep-spine reason is I desperately want him to be a friend again. I crave his approval. Does that make me a fool? Disloyal? Is it the guilt speaking? Is it his magnetism? Or is it that vain part of me that just wants to be loved by people I respect? And I do respect him. He has honor, a corrupted sort, but true honor nonetheless. Okay,
0: okay, first of all, like, sigh. Darrow, Darrow, Darrow. The honor, a corrupted sort, but true honor nonetheless. That's like saying, this person that I know is generally a good person until they're bad, but they're still a good person, right? Right. But again, we get into like, is it his magnetism? (laughs) Cassius is, he's very set in his ways, and I don't think he's a good person. And Darrow is just so like, his magnetism. (laughs) What is that song? I just want to be loved by you. That's Darrow's song to Cassius. <laughs> to be fair, Cassius does tell Darrow about the jackal stockpiling nuclear weapons. Five freaking hundred of them. And they're not small ones either. They're not like, I'm going to you know, shoot this at a ship and it's going to kill the ship. A single one world could be killing. world killing. Obviously, I understand why the Sovereign Insisted that this was kept back during their negotiations because, like, whoa, big scary. And also it means that they have so much less leeway than they're playing at. But whoa. This is so dangerous. Oh my god, like this isn't just this isn't just the rising that is in danger. This is like your world too, because you know that he's making a play to be sovereign himself. Mm-hmm.
2: You stupid, you stupid bitch. Is it terrible that when I thought we had five, they had 500 nuclear weapons? I'm like, what's the big deal? The US has (laughs) 5,000.
0: Well, I mean, except I think that these are also way bigger than the ones that we have. But yes, and maybe it's not terrible that you thought that. It's terrible that that is a thing. So anyway, Darrow takes this information about the jackal stockpiling these fucking nuclear weapons. And at the next big meeting of the Suns, there's some argument about who belongs there and who doesn't and about whether or not to torture Cassius. So, you know, on both counts, especially as it's Mustang, who's currently in question as whether or not she should be there. But Darrow wants to scrap their plan like I said in the summary, to try to take back Mars. He actually wants to abandon Mars. I mean, and I say abandon, I feel like I'm saying that kind of lightly. He wants to leave Mars because if they don't, if the fight is there, they're not going to have a home to come back to. And I think he felt this way even before he learned about the Warheads, honestly. But Dancer being, you know, the OG leader of the Sons of Ares, other than like Fitchner and I guess Quicksilver, is not happy about this. And Sephi isn't happy about it either because she feels like this means they're going to abandon the obsidians who are still there as well.
1: But Darrow reminds them, this planet is why we fight. The strength of rebel armies throughout history is that they have less to protect. They can rove and move and are impossible to pin down. We have so much to lose here, so much to protect. This war won't be won in days or weeks. It will be a decade. Mars will bleed. And in the end, ask yourselves, what will we inherit? A corpse of what was once our home. We must fight this war, but I will not fight it here.
0: So the Red Armada is going to war, something Dancer never thought he would see. Darrow wishes that Fitchner was there and again like this is after a whole bunch of argument about whether or not they should leave mars behind like there is definitely some tensions are high amongst these people because keep in mind that as cool as mustang and the telematis are they're still golds at least severo is half red and darrow is a carved red the answer especially sees or believes that there is too much influence of these golds on Darrow's thinking, I mean he's wrong <laughs> in this case at least. But they're going to war. Dancer never thought he'd see this. Darrow wants Fitchner or wishes that Fitchner was there. And Dancer says that his greatest regret is that Fitchner couldn't live to see his son Severo wear his helm and to see Darrow become what Fitchner always knew he would be—someone who believes in the people.
1: Darrow is glad that dancers sought him out, especially as he doesn't know if he will ever return, and thinks, And if I do, I fear he will see me as a different man, one who betrayed him, our people, he dream. I've been here before, saying goodbye in a landing pad. Harmony stood with him then. Mateo, too, as they said goodbye on that spire in Yorktown. How can I feel so melancholy for so terrible a past? Maybe that's just the nature of us. Ever wishing for things that were and could be rather than things that are and will be. It takes more to hope than to remember.
0: I don't know. What do you guys think about this quote? Because to be honest, I'm kind of like, you know, he's thinking about saying goodbye to them. And, and we didn't really hear or see much about that in book one. But these are people, you know, Harmony trained with him. Dancer helped make him. Mateo trained him in the ways of gold. Is that part of his past so terrible? You know what I mean? Between being carved, which is painful and awful, and going to the Institute, which was also painful and awful for different reasons, <laughs> I feel like what he's what he's remembering isn't so bad. Yeah. To say, like, how can I feel so melancholy for so terrible a past? I get him saying, like, okay, I'm feeling melancholy about EO, right? About my mm-hmm. time in the mines and that was terrible. And I even get there being some like, oh, it was terrible being carved and the training was hard. But like, that was kind of a brief, light moment.
1: Yeah, at least from the reader's perspective.
2: Well, I mean, I, I think he's melancholy because he believes that his next action is going to upset these people. And Nobody specifically says... He'll okay. ever get back. And he thinks that he'll... he'll, he'll believe it's necessary and we'll get to the next section in a little bit but.
1: but he specifically says how can i feel so melancholy for so terrible a past
0: yeah i know he's saying that in general right i get the thought of i'm feeling melancholy about the terrible past of when i was a red but like and even again like the painful carving and stuff but that moment when he Left people he did actually care about behind on the landing pad as he went to the institute. Seems like mm, like is this unreliable narrator or are you just? I mean, also this is Darrow though, so it's like yeah. maybe maybe you're just a melancholy as fuck dude about everything.
2: No, no I th- I think he's feeling melancholy about the past because he thinks of in in the past he had relationships with these people and. Therefore, even though it was a terrible time in general, these were people that he he loved and he respected, and he's fearful that when he comes back from this next adventure, knowing what he's planning to do, which we as readers don't, that they'll never respect him the same way again. I think that's where it's coming from.
0: Well, as it stands, the first portion of what we're covering tonight is the least, uh, I of things, like. So, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. but
0: wait, but wait, before they actually go to war or battle or whatever, again, they're off to visit the Moon Lords in chapters 40 to 44.
2: Darrow arrives on Io to meet with Romulus Ah-Ra, though from the start things don't go as planned. Mustang sets up the meeting, and Darrow believes the so-called Moonies... Uh, not the Unification Church version, will show, but he also knows that they are a proud people, a people who only bent to the sovereign's authority after she destroyed their moon, Rhea, and who rose against her again when Mustang delivered their captive children from Luna after the massacre at Darrow's Triumph. Eventually, Mustang arrives, but Romulus isn't with her. Instead, it's his sister, Vela, come to fetch Darrow to a meeting at Romulus's home. Now, this was decidedly not part of the plan, and Severo is especially weary of treachery, and as is Dara when he realizes it will just be him and Mustang along for the ride. But Mustang insists that Romulus would rather die than kill a guest. Obviously not a Walder Frey here, and even Cephi agrees that he should go, and so they do, though not before Severo promises to lay waste if they aren't back within six hours. At the home of Romulus Ara. Mustang is escorted inside to meet with him first while Darrow is left in the gardens and is soon approached by a little girl. They have a pleasant conversation, but it's soon obvious that she clearly doesn't watch Hollows because, er, she doesn't know who Darrow is. Which, okay, dude, yeah, we get it. You're so big and important. Laugh out loud. (laughs) When Romulus finally appears and chews his daughter away, he and Darrow discuss the differences between growing up in the core versus growing up in the rim and the similarities between the exploitation enacted by people who feel entitled to power and the subjugation of low colors by golds as a whole. Romulus also asked Darrow how his father and daughter died at the Triumph, and it's a gruesome tale. Really, how could it not be considering Vixus and Antonia, that bitch, were involved? Regardless, it bears no repeating.
0: There's more discussion to be had, but at this point, it needs to involve far more people including Romulus's surprise guest, none other than that butt-sucker, Roke O'Fabii. And despite (laughs) Mustang and Darrow revealing that it was Octavia who ordered Aja's attack on Quinn and that the jackal killed her when she might have lived, Roke just sits there being the butt-sucker that he is and blaming all the things on Darrow. Massive eye A good bit of back and forth ensues with Mustang calling out Roke on his bullshit from the very start, Roke promising things like tax and export tariff reductions, licenses for mining in the belt, an eventual reformation of the sovereign election process, and that he will deliver Antonia to them so they can mete out justice for the murders she committed. Darrow, for his part, begins with the pledge that if the Rim helps them take out the Sword Armada, they will have full independence. And he even agrees to abandon the low colors in the Rim. So for a moment, he has them. Until Rogue opens his big wannabe poetic mouth again and pushes the idea of, Oriet united over all? At which point Darrow knows he has to make another move. And so he does, promising to give them the 350 sons of Ares cells spread throughout their territories and to return to the core, never coming through the asteroid belt as long as he lives. If only they will help him kill Roke's bloody damn
1: fleet. When Roke attempts to denounce all of this as a passel of lies, Darrow reminds him that it's the Sovereign who lies, the Sovereign who burned Rhea. And with his outburst about Rhea being a mistake that will never be repeated, Roke falls right into Darrow and Mustang's trap. Because while it's obviously not the whole truth and nothing but, they do have proof that there was an asteroid located on the space road from the core to the rim that housed hundreds of nuclear warheads. Warheads that are, in fact, no longer there. And with a slip of wording, Roke at the very least reveals that he knew of its existence, and so the Moon Lords slip through his fingers, and he storms out like a bratty little child. What a bastard. Actually, what a buttsucker, because I really like that insult. Darrow, being Darrow, insists on following him, wanting to know when he lost Roke as a friend. That, apparently, being when Quen died. Because Darrow being a gold or a red doesn't actually matter in Rogue's mind. Darrow's spirit is black. Yawn. Just shut the fuck up, my dude. And man, Darrow, we all wish you'd stop chasing after these assholes like a poor abused puppy. Like, just kill the motherfucker. Back with the fleet, it's time for another pre-battle benediction and heartfelt goodbyes as the Telemontises and Mustang go one way and Darrow goes another Not before Kavix reminds Darrow that, thanks to Pax and Mustang, he is one of them. If not a gold, per se, then a friend. Family, even. Oh, and not before Darrow gets in one good kiss with Mustang, too. Wink, wink. Meanwhile, Orion is off on a mission of her own as well. By the way, she's a full-on admiral now and something of a pirate to boot. Oh, and she really wants a parrot. A red one specifically, so Darrow promises to find one for her if they pull off the destruction of their armada. There is, however, one surprise in store. Victra was supposed to be elsewhere, but she decided to stay with Darrow to protect him. You know, for Severus' sake, of course. Once more into the breach, she says, and Darrow goes live to broadcast yet another Reaper speech to remind his fleet that they are not red, (laughs) not blue or gold or gray or obsidian. They are humanity. They are the tide, and they will reclaim the lives that were stolen from them and build the future they were promised.
0: I love how just actor you went there when you have to read the whole speech in a little while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'll bring even more.
0: <laughs> bring it on. So and we're off on. to see
2: the moon lords, the wonderful moon lords of Oz.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or of the rim yeah i know so darrow has some uh, feelings about io and its people
1: i may not like io but i can respect the people of this land ionian men and women are not like humans of earth or luna or mercury or venus they're harder by their eyes slightly larger to absorb the dim light 600 million kilometers from the sun skin pale taller and able to withstand higher doses of radiation. These people believed themselves most like the iron golds who conquered Earth and put man at peace for the first time in her history.
0: I mean, yeah, okay, but did they? Did they really?
1: <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> for a few a few hours at least.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so they enslaved a whole bunch of people.
2: <laughs>
0: and yep. that's peace. It sounds very uh yeah. <laughs>
1: Like a bunch of white colonizers talking about how they created this.
2: Are we back in Temeraire again? (laughs) (laughs) All of these people are not white.
1: This is a multi-ethnic group of colonizers.
0: That that is true. That is actually true. Yes, in this
1: scenario, gold is the new white.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Shit. (laughs) Who said orange is the new pink? Oh, God, no, wait, those are two colors in the story, too. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that when Darrow and Mustang go off to meet with the House of Raw, Severo bumps this with Darrow and then he turns and he's like, Yeah, you too, Mustang. And I just was mm-hmm. like, This is a blizzard. Little, because little, 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 little. Severo has kind of talked a lot of shit about Mustang, like, a lot of shit but I loved that he was like, I I guess I'm accepting you too now. Bump this with me.
1: We're cool. Once Darrow is escorted to the home of Romulus Ra, he is told to wait in the garden where he runs into a little girl, not something he's used to as he hasn't met many gold children, apparently. Core peerless families often guard them from the public eye for fear of assassination, keeping them in private estates or schools. I've heard the rim is different. They do not kill children here, but everyone likes to pretend that they don't kill children.
2: Where have we heard this before?
1: Everyone likes to pretend they don't kill children.
2: Pew, pew,
0: pew, pew, pew. Uh, I mean, honestly, though, we obviously know that Nera Augustus kept Mustang and the jackal like sequestered away. I mean, he sent Mustang to stay with the Telemonuses and I think only very few people even knew that she was his child when she was staying with them. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he hid the jackal away, which, I mean, let's be real. I don't know if I completely doesn't
1: worry about that. Maybe he should have just killed him.
0: Well, he tried that. He did, though, because the jackal was born, like, a weakling. And there's, like, a thing that they do where they, like, put them out in the elements for, like, X amount of days. And if they survive, then, like, okay, I guess they get to survive. So,
1: Apparently it was a mistake to just let them be out in the elements. Maybe they should have just, like... (laughs) But then again, Darrow should have killed him back at the Institute, yes, but.
0: exactly. But also, this is Darrow we're talking about. Like, he also
1: wanted to BFS
0: with the jackal. It's like I can change him too, guys.
1: The power of friendship will heal anyone. <laughs> don't get me wrong, I rainbow. love when like the power of friendship actually like wins the day. Like Steven Universe, like mm. fuck. I love that shit. Also, you know?
0: the new Shira. Yes,
1: she- Shira, yes, love new Shira. But also, come on, y'all. Like, sometimes that shit doesn't work, and you need to recognize, like, hey, this is not going to be a good scene. I need to fucking kill this person.
0: But Darrow, he, like, never will. So, he's in these gardens. He meets this little girl named Serafina. And when Romulus shows up and asks what she thinks of Darrow, she points out that he's big. And Darrow's like but not so large as a telematis. And she replies, well, nothing is as large as a telematis. Which is like, I love that even in the rim, the whole telematis family is known for being like large and obnoxious in the best ways, because they are the best. Darrow tells her about Ragnar and includes that he is dead now. And she's like, that must be why you're so sad. And I was just like, child is smorked because she's like eight years old and darrow is also just like how did she know and i was like you fucking wear your emotions on your sleeve and also <laughs> like ragnar was ragnar and you
2: should be fucking sad about it
1: i mean come I on think- darrow you're basically a big himbo who <laughs> has like read a lot of books yeah
2: he hasn't actually read any he just had read. them absorbed into his brain
1: you're right It is more like he got them absorbed into his brain. Although I do think that there is a reference to him like spending a lot of time reading books.
0: He does read. He does absolutely read. It's just like the vast amount of knowledge that he has is absolutely due to the plans and all that shit. It's probably important to note that Serafina didn't know who Dara was because Romulus doesn't allow his children to watch hollows before the age of 12. Also, that their children aren't allowed to have servants because the moment a child thinks it's entitled to anything, they think they deserve everything. I got to say, I'm behind the Moonies on this.
1: Like, 100%. But also, isn't it a little bit like how Bill Gates is like, oh, I'm not just going to like give all my money to my children. But like they're still going to grow up incredibly entitled. They're just not going to like immediately get everything. Warren Buffett
0: did that too, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, okay... Better than not just, like, giving them whatever they want and raising them to be spoiled children. But also, like, you're not actually, like, teaching them to be, like, different than you. You're teaching them, like, they have to earn what you got.
2: Yeah, they have to earn their privilege. (laughs) Putting it into the perspective of the, the novel here, Romulus expects his children to reach a certain point of understanding of the world as he sees it. And he's not going to give that to him. And if presumably, especially based on how golds treat their pixies, so to speak, if they don't earn it, they're not going to get it. Now they may get yeah, something. I can Romulus. easily see Romulus, if their child is a fuck up or not what he wants him to be, being much more like Randall Tarley treating sam
0: i mean i think you're probably right there but that's the thing like when he says they have to earn servants or slaves seraphina points to her cheek like with the scar which means she has to go to the institute so here's the thing they're claiming that their institutes are better because there's no r word or mutilation or whatever They still call students. Serafina Ara is not going to go to that institute and be paired with somebody that could kill her on purpose. Like, Severo and Priam, that was a mistake. That wasn't supposed to happen. Everybody else killed the person they were supposed to kill. They generally paired mid-level entries with mid-level entries. Low-level entries with low-level entries. The fact of the matter is, Serafina Aura ra is not going to earn her slaves until she earns her scar. But she is still a member of House Ra. And so she still is going to have that step up in society. To be honest, like, throughout this whole conversation, Darrow thinks that it's hard for him to speak to Romulus as if he is not A tyrant and he says
1: you sit here and think you're more civilized than luna because you obey your creed of honor because you show restraint but you're not more civilized you're just more disciplined
0: romulus asks isn't that civilization order denying animal impulse for stability no it's not but hey darrow is here to discuss war not (laughs) philosophy or (laughs) politics in the end, it turns out they aren't the only ones paying a visit to I.O. Bro goes
1: there, too. Darrow greets him, but behind my distant welcome is an aching heart. There is not a hint of sorrow on his face, however. I want there to be. And Knowing that, I know I still feel for the man. He is a soldier of his people, and I'm a soldier of mine. He's not the evil of his story. He's the hero who unmasked the Reaper. Who smashed the Augustus Telemannus fleet at the Battle of Daimos the night after my capture. He does not do these things for himself. He lives for something as noble as I, his people. His only sin is in loving them too much, as is his way.
0: I literally could not roll my eyes enough.
1: <laughs> Man, fuck broke. Like,
0: this is the one... Week where I wish Nami was not on vacation and was here I because know. I can just imagine the Nami rants about Roke right now.
1: I didn't like Rogue back at the Institute, but like everything since the Institute, I've liked him less and less. He is just such a piece of shit. He is the worst of the. Well, I did it because I had to do it. I did it because I was protecting my people. Kind of bullshit logic.
0: Nick, he loves his.
1: Fuck his he people. Loves, he
0: loves everybody too much.
1: He doesn't love everybody too much. He only loves Gold's too much. Yeah. We even see that later on, but we'll get to Well,
0: that. actually, I think he also, in a way, to be honest, loved Darrow too much, and that's why he was so butthurt about everything that happened. Like, wine, wine, wine. Darrow hurt my feelings.
1: Darrow yeah, didn't but- pay enough attention to me. Darrow didn't do the, all the things that I wanted him to do.
0: Go ahead, Jonathan. We're shitting on Roke a lot. Do you want to be the...
2: Well, I, I'm not going to really defend the guy. But from <laughs> his perspective, I see why he got was so upset at Darrow. Not trusted right. and never brought into the inner circle. I get all that. Now, having said that, it's obvious that of all the people that Darrow was befriending, I think knowing the truth, even Cassius would have taken it better than than Roke would have. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think Roke is the quintessential, I'm not racist, but.
2: Mm-hmm. But my best friend is a red.
0: <laughs> so Darrow offers the Rim independence in exchange for their help in destroying the Sword Armada. And ugh, this includes him agreeing to abandon the low colors in the Rim and also giving them the information on the sons of Aries cells there. As well, which brings us back to at the end of the last section that we talked about, he was saying, You know, Dancer is going to hate me. They're going to feel like I betrayed them. I mean, again, this is Dara plots and plans, and plans and plots.
2: And this is why <laughs> I was saying he felt melancholy because he knew this was a likely scenario. Okay.
0: <laughs> but like, seriously, ugh. even after he's like, I'm giving you your independence, I will abandon the low colors here they still have to be slaves which cool man like i want to say i guess i get sacrificed for war but i'm still like this is slavery (laughs) so the low colors might not be treated as badly in the rim as they are in the core but they're still treated fucking badly because they're low
1: that whole argument that roke is making is around we have to protect the way that things have been versus anything that might give the other colors any kind of power. And that's how Roke tries to get the outer rim back on his side.
0: Well, and on top of that, it brings us all the way back to Golden Sun, where Nero was telling Darrow, like, I know all the other colors can do this shit. Yep. I know they can do this shit, but that's not our society. So yep. on that note... Darrow offers the Rim independence in exchange for their help in destroying the Sword Armada. As I said, this includes him agreeing to abandon the low colors in the Rim and giving them information on the Sons of Aris cells there, which is like, oh my god, like I understand why he felt he had to do it, but all of this is like ten times bad. This still doesn't seem like it's going to be enough, because Roke pulls his like, Uriot, Uriot is law, blah 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 bullshit, and Darren Mustang have one more thing up their sleeve and they trick Roke into admitting there is a nuclear weapons depot in the rim. And even though Roke tries to claim he didn't empty the depot on his way to IO, as soon as Roke admits that he knew it was there and he knows that that depot is empty, Romulus is super done believing anything Roke says. And he asks Roke, what is pride without honor? What is honor without truth? Honor is not what you say. It is not what you read. Honor is what you do.
2: I guess we finally really see why Roque was in House Mars when he announces, If you betray your color, the compact, the society, which is what this will be, Ilium will burn. I will acquaint you with ruin. I will hunt down every person you have ever known, and I will exterminate their seed from the world. I will do so with a heavy heart. But I am a man of Mars, a man of war, so know that my wrath will be unending.
0: And then Rhymus right, is like, cut my finger. Blood feud, bitches!
1: Spit in <laughs> your face!
0: Spit blood in your face! Like, are we not worried about diseases here? <laughs> Apparently <laughs> no, not. we're not. They're gold. We're They're worried gold. about
1: blood <laughs> feuds. <laughs> Lord! iconic, too, like... What more badass way to start a duel? To fucking cut yourself and then spit your blood in their face.
0: It's not even a duel. This is just a feud. Like, listen, there are two things that happen in these books when somebody is being shat on. And I mean that figuratively because it's either a blood feud where you cut yourself and spit blood in their face or it's you pissing on them. Literally, if you want to just fuck someone up and make them just like the biggest loser in all the worlds, you either spit blood in their face or piss on them, which seems so dangerous and disgusting, but I guess they're all golds and it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're super strong and they don't get diseases or something. (laughs) Roke leaves. And of course, Jesus fucking Christ, Daryl goes chasing after Roke.
1: He asked Roke when he lost him. Sorry. (laughs) He asked asked Roke when he lost him, and Roke claims it was when Quinn died. Darrow questions whether Roke planned to kill him, even when he thought Darrow was a gold. And well, yep, because as Roke says, gold, red, it doesn't
2: matter. Your spirit is black. Quinn was good. Leah was good. And you used them. You are ruined, Darrow. You drain your friends of life and leave them spent and wasted in your wake. Convincing yourself each death is worth it. Each death brings you closer to justice. But history is littered with men like you. The society is not without fault. But the hierarchy of this world, it is the best man can afford.
1: That's literally what you're doing, Roke. That's what you're doing. And
0: also, how the fuck could he blame Darrow for Leah's death? That was Antonia, yeah, that, was probably... that bitch.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like at that point, I don't think Cassius even knows that Darrow killed Julius, right?
0: I don't remember the exact timing, but I don't think it I don't think it matters. Roke certainly didn't. Roke didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I don't Roke think and there's Leah anything... went out to
0: hook up and they killed Leah yeah. and like fucked up Roke and tossed him in a gully or something. How is this Darrow's fault, dude? This is the institute, and it is Antonia's fault. And you are literally fighting on the same side. As that bitch. Roke is so wrapped up in his belief in like gold prominence. Fucking racist piece of shit. That he can't think about the fact that it might have been not Darrow's fault. Or well, no, actually, that's not even it. I think he is so mad at Darrow about the wrongs he feels Darrow has done to him. That he can't codify Darrow did me wrong. Because yes, Darrow did do him wrong in some ways with anything else. Everything is blamed on Darrow. He's the worst and fuck him. And so they're back to preparing for yet another battle with the same benediction that was used before the Iron Reign.
1: Darrow muses, it has lost none of its luster. None of the grandeur that so sheathes this remarkable people that go to death not for the veil, not for love but for glory we have never seen a race quite like them nor will we again after months surrounded by the sons of aries i see these golds less as demons than fallen angels precious flaring so brightly against the sky before disappearing beyond the horizon but how many more days like this can they afford
0: which is sad because then he has to watch kavik say goodbye to mustang And he sees Kavax, like, just grab Mustang. Kavax, oh, Telemannus. sees him grab Mustang and, like, hug her, like, up off the ground. And he's thinking about how Kavax was the father that she really had. Then he has his own moment with the Telemannuses as well. And he thanks Kavax for his kindness, for watching over Darrow's friends when Darrow isn't even one of them. And Cavas is like, you're a fool. Where's Sophocles? Like to pull a jelly bean out oh. of Darrow's pants around.
1: Sophocles.
0: Oh no, wait, he does. <laughs> Kavak says he's a fool. Pax made Darrow one of them. And so does Mustang. And then there's Sophocles. <laughs> Who discovers yet another yet another jelly bean that somehow made its way into the joint in Darrow's armor. Which, like, yes, my next pet is named Sophocles, probably.
1: 100%.
0: And everybody's like, oh, you're super smart. And I'm like, no, I'm naming it yeah. after a fox who loves jelly
1: beans. And yes, I 100% feed this animal, whatever animal it is, jelly beans.
0: But also, like, I just, I, I fucking love Sophocles. Like... Of course, we get another big Daryl speech, though at least this one is quite a bit shorter.
1: In mine, in space, in city and sky, we have lived our lives in fear. Fear of death, fear of pain. Today, fear only that we fail. We cannot. We stand upon the edge of darkness holding the lone torch left to man. That torch will not go out. Not while I breathe, not while your hearts beat in your chest, not while our ships yet have menace in them. Let others dream, let others sing. We chosen few are the fire of our people. We are not red, not blue or gold or gray or obsidian. We are humanity. We are the tide. And today we reclaim the lives that have been stolen from us. We build the future we were promised. (laughs) Thank you. Oh my God, thank you. (laughs)
0: Okay, okay, okay. Now it's finally time for the battle in chapters 45 through 49. As the battle begins, it's clear that Roke wants to board Dara's ships, meaning there's no slugging it out and hoping for the best. But at the same time, Dara believes that Roke doesn't really understand Red's psychology and therefore won't suspect his real plan, which, as usual, includes plots and plans within plans and plots. Orion technically begins the battle, but it's kind of all a ruse for Darrow to run the Pax in close and sacrifice her to the cause, because while the leechcraft they launch at Roke's Moonbreaker are empty and the Pax is dying around them, Roke is wrong to believe they're dead in the water. The ship might be. But again, plans plots, y'all. Darrow orders the remaining crew of the Pax to abandon ship, while he, Victra, Holiday, and a whole-ass regiment of Valkyrie meet up with a crew of Helldivers to board retrofitted quadrilles that they then use to fly through space and punch into Roke's ship. They're prepared for close-quarters combat, some of them perhaps too much so, as the Valkyrie are high AF on Berserker Fungus. (laughs) But Darrow is quickly frustrated by the slow going. Even more so when Mustang kills him and reveals that Roke used EMPs on her ships. Darrow knows that it's only a matter of time before Roke announces that he must surrender or watch Mustang die. Because, ugh, of course Roke would do that and honestly fuck him.
1: Fuck him indeed. So Darrow and his platoon charge for the bridge, but it's been sealed off by a door that will take them at least 14 minutes to burn through. Oh. And they're also not about to be cornered by a bunch of golds. It all seems very dire until the door merely slides open. And to be honest with you, I was confused by this moment. But regardless, they surged through it, ready to fight. But what greets them is a calm, clean, dimly lit bridge with Beethoven being piped through the speakers. Because it wasn't actually Roke that opened the door, leading them into a trap. It was actually a pink valet who opened the door for them and was listening to Darrow's message that was playing in the ship's comm unit instead. So, lol, joke's on you, Roke! <laughs> it's mere seconds before one of the golds catches sight of them, and hilariously, as the fight begins, one of them starts announcing herself as Felicia, ah! Uh, and earns a well-timed, if cheesy, bye Felicia from Victra. Soon enough, Roke is the only person left who hasn't surrendered. Well, other than the blues in the pit who clearly have no idea what to do because it's not as if they're fighters. Roke being Rook, refuses to stand down, continuing his barrage on Mustang's ship, even after Darrow reminds him that it's Mustang that he's attacking. But hey, remember all those plots and plans we keep mentioning? Because this is when the PAX comes into play. They reverse the coolant flow, causing the reactors to overheat. And because it's you know, position in the midst of Roke's fleet, when it implodes, it destroys all of his ships. So long packs the ship, and thanks for all the good times. However, Roke's fleet does have Darrow's in flight, and he believes they will come back to save him. Except, apparently Roke didn't think to wonder where Severo, of all people, is. And it turns out that some helldivers melted caverns into the nearby moon of Thebes, where Severo and 6,000 soldiers were loaded into starshells and waiting for their call. Boom. Granted, once upon a short
2: time ago, there was also leechcraft filled with golds from Team Romulus in some of those caverns. But the Reds on Team Darrow collapsed those caverns right as several launches because Darrow needed that additional assurance plan, at least in his mind. And yet Roke continues being a big old brat because wow wow, he still swore an oath to the society. And even after all of this, Darrow still tries to convince Roke that the world needs him, just like Iceman tried to convince Maverick that the Navy still (laughs) needed him, which got shut up, Darrow, you are the only person who feels this way right now and only for Roke to step away and wax on about being God in glory and gold before taking his own life. Anyway, moving on, because no one but Darrow cares about what just happened, and also because there's still one thing left for Darrow to take care of, and y'all, it's, well, not great, especially when Antonia, oh yes, was part of the battle, commanding a ship that she basically stole from Victor. full-on abandons the rest of the sword armada. Victor wants to go after her bitch-half-sister... Remember, Darrow did promise her that revenge, but Darrow insists that first things first, they need to set a course for Ganymede. Of course, Romulus notices, but when he hails Darrow, Darrow unpretends to be still be fighting in the halls of Roke's ship, because yeah, he's totally on his way to destroy the docks of Ganymede and blame it all on Roke. At the last moment, Victra tells Darrow to share the load, and she is the one who gives the order. They watch the destruction, Sethi and Holiday by their side, And when it is over, Darrow asks that Cephi rename Rogue's ship Tirmorga. She says without hesitation, Morningstar. Discussion, part three. I guess I have to wait to talk about the end of that scene. Yes.
0: The Battle of Ilium begins. And very soon it seems that the Rising Fleet is, you know, outmatched and outgunned, quote unquote. They're losing ships left and right. And one of those ships is the Pax. One more friend lost to the cause. When Darrow thinks that, hey, it's just like...
2: Darrow just brings destruction. Roke was right.
0: Exactly. He's such a black soul. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, Claude weren't really out of the equation after all. Because they retrofitted, like I said, a bunch of them with thrusters and used them to punch into Roke's Moonbreaker with the help of some helldivers. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Severo is waiting elsewhere to do other things. But the Valkyrie are with Darrow. Hi, I'm Berserker Fungus and ready to help him clear a path through Rogue's ship. Meanwhile, Mustang is under heavy fire. Rogue used DMPs on her ship, so she's in big trouble and Darrow needs to hurry. But Rogue put his ship on full lockdown and it will take them too long to like drill through the door. There's a whole lot of just when they're fighting through the halls, like they're losing Valkyrie left and right, and they get cornered at the bridge, and there's this recorded message, like this constant replay of Darrow's recorded message. That's like the Reaper has taken your ship. It's exhorting the low colors on the ship to join them, and it's going on in the background. And sure enough, it works its magic because. A pink on the bridge (laughs) opens the door for them. Listen, the battle is amazing. There's a whole lot of shit going on. They fight through the halls. They're cornered at the door. And at one point, like, Seffi, she goes back and is, like, fighting off gold. And she brings someone's head to them. And Victor's like, that's so-and-so. He was in my house in the Institute. He's a really good cook. (laughs) Which actually makes me wonder, like, what house was Victor in? Like, he's a good cook. Like, was she Ceres?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I don't think we ever found out.
0: We have not at this point found out what house Victor's in, but like saying somebody's a really good cook implies that they had food to cook. Yeah. So, Ceres? Maybe, I guess Maybe. Minerva or Diana? I would have put Victra in Mars, but I don't think she was House Mars. That's like a question for Pierce. Please. I tell she us definitely that.
1: wasn't Mars. Just because I feel like if she was Mars, we would have... Known it already. We would have had that, you know? Oh. That's definitely a good question for Pierce is, hey, uh, what house was...
0: Admit there? to us what house Victra
1: Yes. <laughs> Give us the dirt.
0: But a pink on the bridge, opens the doors for him. And lo! Roke is all like, even you? I think he says Amathia, but I almost wonder if that was a typo because that's a weird name, and the only other place I've heard a name anything like that was Amalthia from The Last Unicorn. Ooh. So I want to believe that that was a typo and it was supposed to be Amalthia. Not Amathea, but I could be wrong about that. But like when that. he's like, even you, Amathea, and she's like, here's my pink baby eye rose badge. And she like takes it off and throws it away. And Victor's like, you romantic son.
1: I love like, Victor so much.
0: Dude, this poor girl was still your slave. Like, she was a pink. Listen, reds, what they go through are bad. Obsidian's, what they go through is fucking awful. But, like, pinks, that's the worst. It's the most disgusting part of the society by far. And, ugh, But I love, I love that they just walk up into the bridge. Or, well, no, that's not even true. They burst into the bridge because the door opens and they're, like, expecting a fight. And it's like, nope, this pink just opened the door
1: for you. I gotta give credit to Pierce. I did not see that coming. I thought it was something where, like, Roke was like, so just fuck you. I've got all of you in checkmate. You can come onto the bridge. I don't care. And so then to realize that it was actually a pink who had opened the door and let them in and Roke had no idea. I was like, oh, shit. Fuck yes.
0: And also she was his pink.
1: Yes, she was his pink. And she was like, fuck you. We love to see it.
0: That was such like just a moment where you realize that the pink opened the door and yeah. then it's like it's like his pink and you're just like Ha-ha.
1: yeah that was just such a beautiful moment like really good job with that scene especially i think because there was all this like dramatic tension around can they get in in time what are they going to do and then it just opens and roke is caught completely unaware
0: yeah
1: like holy shit was not expecting that and that it was really <laughs>
0: even you.
1: Ugh.
0: and she's like bitch i'm still a slave yeah even yeah. me
1: yeah you've basically have been raping me so fuck you
0: rogue side of the battle has devolved into chaos because central intelligence went silent as soon as they all realized darrow was on the bridge mm-hmm. and darrow calls it the individual initiative creating chaos yeah. which is but, despite he and his ship being captured, Roke still believes they have Darrow's fleet outnumbered and flayed, and they just took down Mustang's ship, leaving Darrow just having to hope that she's still alive, which is also... Mm. But where's several, so y'all? P.S. He's at the head of a fleet of leechcraft filled with obsidians and screaming reds that was hidden in caverns that hell divers had dug out of the moon. Thebes. Side note, though. There were also leechcraft filled with Romulus's golds there, too. But the Reds that created the caverns collapsed their caverns on them.
1: Darrow does not give a fuck.
0: No. No. I mean, the whole point is, like, Darrow, he needed that extra insurance. If Romulus's leechcraft filled with gold had left Thebes, they would have been able to capture ships. Darrow needs those ships. So Darrow, after Severo and his 6,000 legions or whatever the fuck you want to call them, burst from their caverns on Thebes to come after Roke's ships, Darrow tells Roke the day is lost. But Roke, you can save lives by telling your fleet to stand down. You're backed into a corner, as Victra says. But Roke... Oh, Roke... He doesn't want to destroy what's left of his honor. And Victra, my fave, sneers, Honor? What honor do you think you have? We were your friends and you gave us up. Not just to be killed, but to be put in boxes. To be electrocuted, burned, tortured night and day for a year. We." Were your
1: friends. Dara watches her thinking, here in armor, it's hard to imagine the blonde warrior to have ever been a victim. But in her eyes, there's that special sadness that comes from seeing the void, from feeling cut away from the rest of humanity.
0: Like, seriously, it's Rogue's fault that they ended up here.
1: Yep.
0: I mean, okay, maybe not entirely. Fine. Whatever. But he was absolutely a huge part of it, and fuck him. Yes. butt-sucking Rogo baby He claims, is like, My heart breaks for you, for who you were, for what you've suffered. But I love my people, and I refuse to watch my
1: world burn. Blah, blah, blah. By the way, he means to K-word himself on a life himself. And even though Darrow begs him not to, because the world needs roque Fabii. He needs roque Fabii. There's no stopping it. Here on the bridge of this invincible warship, as his famous fleet falls to ruin behind him, the poet of Demos takes his own life. Somewhere the wind howls and the darkness whispers that I'm running out of friends, running out of light.
2: That was a bit melodramatic of Darrow. I wouldn't have considered Rogue a friend at this point.
1: Yeah. No. He's got lots of friends. Like, calm down, Darrow.
0: The fact that he's so obsessed with, like, these two friends that he made at the Institute who have fucked him over time and time again is, like, dude.
2: I must admit I understand his obsession with Cassius. Because Darrow was not straight with him. Darrow did kill his brother. Darrow... Oh, no.
0: He's just not straight. Let me be very clear.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, you're not... Oh, that not straight. Oh.
0: But also, yes, he was not straight with Cassius. But also, Darrow's not... Well, okay, actually, let me let me rephrase. I feel like Darrow is... I don't think Darrow would necessarily... I think he's pansexual. He is not in love with Roke. He is in love with cassius because he's obsessed with who cassius is as a person and his looks <laughs> darrow never felt that way about roke right roke definitely felt that way about darrow
2: so are you telling me that in the fan fiction alternative universe of this it's mustang cassius and darrow
0: no mustang wouldn't put up with that mustang would be like no get this guy out of her <laughs>
2: Well, but Mustang was with Cassius. No,
0: but she was not with him by choice, as we <laughs> That's know. That's
2: why I said, the alternative universe.
0: <laughs> no, Mustang wants nothing to do with Cassius. She was, like, literally just doing that to protect her family. Literally, she shoots him in the neck. He's like, you wouldn't. And she's like, bam, fuck you, bitch, in part two. But, like, yeah. no, I Darrow, he has an obsession with Cassius that he never, like, Yes, he has feelings for Roke in, like, that friendship aspect, but, like, he is obsessed with Cassius. I mean, I don't know, like, his uh, his feelings about Roke are just, like, why, man? Like, please stop. Like, when he's like, the yeah. worlds need Roko Fabi, and you're just like, no, no, they don't. They literally need the opposite of Roke Fabi. Like, Cassius might, might have something that redeems him but at this point roke is literally like i'm gonna kill your friends and if i can't kill your friends oh i've lost a sword armada so i'm going to
1: kill me not
0: live myself ugh, it's just ugh. and then elsewhere in the battle mustang is still alive yay <laughs> and antonia straight up a Abandons the fleet to save her own hide, and Victra is like pissed that they are basically letting Antonio go. Because let's be clear, Daryl promised Victra that she would get her revenge,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: Like he promised her that. Like, join us, and you will get your revenge. And Victor's like, "What the fuck, man?" Thankfully, she backs down a little bit because other things happen, but. He's like, I promise you, we will hunt her down. We have something else to do for us. That being, trick the moon lords into thinking Roke is still in charge of his ship, which they just directed toward Ganymede. Because, yeah, that's right. Darrow is pretending he is still fighting his way through the quarters and that Roke is ordering this move (sighs) as his last act of violence before Darrow claims his command.
1: Holiday reminds Darrow that there are still thousands of low colors on Ganymede, but he knows. And when she asks if he's sure he wants to do this, Darrow replies, want to? Since when has any of this been about what we want?
0: And he turns to give the order, but Victra stops him, saying, share the load, darling. This one's on me. So, as part three closes out, Dara and Victor are standing shoulder to shoulder watching the destruction of the docks while Sefi just stares at it in awe because she's watched all – I mean, first of all, she's an obsidian, so she's been sequestered and not seen any of this shit, right, ever. Mm -hmm. But she has watched all these hollows of ship warfare, but up until now, her war – was fought in narrow halls with men and gunfire. So for the first time, she is seeing what a warship can do.
1: Darrow notes that she is frightened, even as he thinks, it's a crime that the marvel should die like this. No song, nothing but silence, and the unblinking gaze of the stars to herald the end of one of the great monuments of the Golden Age. And I hear in the back of my mind that age-old truth of darkness whispering to me, Death begets death begets death. Hmm.
0: This moment is sadder than he wanted, I guess, somehow. And he turns to Cephi, and he says that he would like her to rename Roke's ship. And without hesitation, she says, Tyr morga, which means morning star which i don't know how you guys feel i know when when we covered the gilded wolves trilogy we all bitched about how they like forced the name of each book Mm -hmm. into the story i don't feel like this was forced right no
1: that was actually a really good use of that
0: yes yeah exactly but, yeah, so, Nick, what do you want to
1: talk about? Oh, wow, <laughs> war crimes? Cool.
2: So this gets back to where I wanted to start with the collapsing of the caverns, which is also probably a war crime if you are correct and he killed them all. I, for some reason, interpret that he basically didn't kill them all. He They just prevented them from leaving and slowed them down so they'd miss the battle. No,
0: but- they totally died.
2: <laughs> and i hear you that they you know they didn't want to ca- they needed to capture the ships and didn't want the golds to have more ships and here they didn't want the golds to build more ships and they wanted to set them back a decade or more before the moon lords could threaten them and i still wonder knowing what we know about romulus already whether that long term was a good move i think it actually was not I would argue that they would have been better off allying themselves with him on a more permanent basis and see where it goes. I know they were worried that eventually the Moon Lords would attack them, but I don't know if that would
1: have happened, and, and now you guarantee you have an enemy. So, But you don't. You don't guarantee that. That's the genius of what Darrow is doing. Admittedly, like I can see the goals in this plan. But in theory, what he is doing is making it so that their shared enemy takes the blame for what happens, and I get that. Therefore, he can keep the alliance and also do the things like get the extra ships. Right. Okay,
2: with both parts of this plan, this is where I think the plan breaks down in
1: I mean, clearly if only, only the second part it. had
2: happened. I agree with you, but with the other part happening, especially when you say they all died, it just seems very suspicious from a Moon Lord point of view.
0: I don't know that there's a way that he could hide the fact that they collapse those caverns. Right. Other than, I don't know what happened to your Leechcraft, ma'am. That said, he definitely played the long game with the Doxic Ganymede thing. Like, I'm still fighting in the halls. And Ramis is like, yeah, no, I know that, that, that and Dara's like, Oh no, they're going to destroy the docks," And it's like,
2: Oh, we're trying. We're trying. We got to get there. Oh I, damn. We didn't quite make it. We only got in the bridge after he had shot the weapons. Right. I get it.
1: I, <laughs> I hate what Dara does here, but mm-hmm. also the, him doing the whole, like, Oh no. What if he's trying to do this thing? that I am literally like planning to do which just like, wow, that.
2: Look, if you're a conspiracy theorist, this is just like Roosevelt letting the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor when he knew better. I still, again, a different leader in the moon Lords. I might've felt differently, but from everything we seem to know, this guy's honor is everything. And if he gave his word, I do not think he would have been the long-term enemy. He may not have been a long-term ally either, but I, I think he would have let, you know, you have your world, we'll have ours sort of worldview.
0: As part three closes out, they destroy the docks of Ganymede. Sefi names the ship Tyrmurga, which is Morning Star any last thoughts before we close out this episode
1: this was a really good section i've been enjoying this whole book but this was a really good section
0: everybody loves golden sun like in the red rising phantom everybody's like golden sun is amazing it's the perfect local. Um mm, are you just no. are you just empire strikes backing it and you like you no. think this is the better one because i think that's so sad
1: golden sun pissed me off so fucking much <laughs> <laughs> I literally, if we weren't doing this show, I don't think I would have continued the series after Golden Sun. Really? Yeah. The end of Golden Sun made me so angry. Interesting. The
0: society strikes back.
2: Hypothetically, yeah. let's say there was no Golden Sun. Let's say it was one gigantic novel.
1: Would you have stopped reading it? So that's a harder question for me to answer because stopping in the middle of a book is different than stopping at the end of a book.
0: I think the better question is if you had read Golden Sun when it came out, not knowing when Morning Star was coming out, would you have continued?
1: I don't know the answer to that question. Partially because I went pretty quickly from Golden Sun to Morning Star, but I only did that because I knew we were starting Morning Star. And even though I wasn't going to be able to be on those episodes, I was like, I have to keep up with everything. So that when I can rejoin, I'm still current instead of trying to like cram everything in. Because I knew I wouldn't have time to do that. So I delayed, I did delay listening to, because I do audiobooks instead of reading it. I delayed listening to Morningstar for a while because I was so pissed off about the ending of Golden Sun. And I was like, okay, I, I have to do it. And I started, and I was like, okay, all right, I can get back into this. And then, like, particularly as I got into part two, and then part three, I was really like, okay, yes, I'm back into this. But the end of Golden Sun really fucking pissed me off.
0: Do any of us miss Buttsucker, Roko, Fabian? No? We're good?
1: Nope.
0: As we close out this episode, we just want to give a shout-out to our Heroes Tier patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Thank you so much for supporting us. Once again, I'm Tara, along with fellow hosts, again, Nick and Jonathan. Don't forget that you can always hit us up at Sagas and Sass on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube, or email us at sagasandsass at gmail.com with any comments or thoughts you might have. Thank you for joining us for Sagas and Sass. We will be back on Wednesday, February 15th to cover part four of Morningstar. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.